morning. Good to have you here. And if you're joining us online, welcome. We're glad you're with us, whether you're live or after the fact. Uh, we're going to start, as Mark said, a new series today. And, you know, when you think about Jesus, uh, we often think, well, he was a great teacher. And of course he was. We think, well, he was a miracle worker. He cast out demons. He healed people of disease. And that's certainly true. And we think of Jesus as somebody who is an example to follow, right? We say we want to be like Jesus, right? Uh, remember a number of years ago, what would Jesus do, right? But he was more than that because Jesus was on a mission. Jesus had a mission. And what we're going to see in this, in this message, in this series of messages, that not only was Jesus on a mission, but the whole Godhead, the Trinity, was involved in this mission of Jesus, and today we're going to focus in on the specifically on the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit was involved in the mission of Jesus. Because what we're going to see is this, that Jesus always looked to his Father, was led by the Spirit of God to do the will of God, right? And in the same way, we are called, as if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is what the scripture says that we should look to our father in heaven we should allow the spirit to guide us or keep in step with the spirit as we follow Jesus so that's what we're going to look at today so today we're going to look at his birth we're going to look at his um, temptation and we're going to look at his baptism and we're actually going to have a baptism during the service here so uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 because we want to look at this. Now, this message today is going to have a number of important biblical and theological truths. And so you may be here for the first time, or maybe you're watching for the first time, and you say, well, I don't really know the Bible very well. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Uh, you don't have to get everything, but you will get something. And we're going to do it in a way where hopefully it'll be understandable to everyone, but it'll also be a challenge for us who've been Christians for a long time to renew truths that we've heard maybe a while ago or, and we're a little fuzzy on. Uh, there's a really important truths that we're going to look at. So uh, the question is, how did the Spirit of God guide Jesus on his mission? Well, if you go to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, one of the things you'll see, and let me read you the passage uh, go down to Matthew 1, verse 18. This is what it says. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, notice what it says, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now that's a significant phrase. Somehow or another, and it's a mystery, the Spirit of God was involved in the conception of Jesus when Jesus, God, when God became man, Jesus, okay? So we call Jesus the God-man, that he's fully God and fully man. Now, it's really important that we understand this doctrine because it's critical and it's important and it's significant and it's taught in Scripture. That Jesus is fully God, but he is also fully man. And you say, and we call this the incarnation, that God became man. That's what incarnation means. That Jesus, who is God, God took upon himself human flesh, okay? And what we're seeing Matthew is saying here is that somehow or another, the Holy Spirit was involved in the very conception of Jesus. Now, Scripture clearly teaches 
that, uh, the, that Jesus was conceived in the womb by miraculous power and the work of the Holy Spirit. And th- this was done without a human father, okay? So this is significant. Jesus was born morally pure. He did not inherit sin through Adam like the rest of us. But he also didn't, not only did he not inherit sin, but he did never sinned. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. Um, so jump down to verse 20. Joseph is being talked, uh, being communicated with by the angel. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph knew it wasn't conceived of him. And so what he's being told is there's something supernatural going on with, with Mary. Something that you, it's a mystery. You will never understand it. It is a miracle. Okay? Now, uh, I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, and the Roman Catholic Church has a doctrine called the Immaculate Conception. Now, many Catholics, and, and maybe you, you grew up Catholic too, many Catholics think that the Immaculate Conception is the teaching that Jesus was born to a, the Virgin Mary with, and without sin. That's not what it is. The doctrine that the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church teaches, is that not Jesus was born without sin, but Mary was born without sin. Now, the reason they do that, the reason they ha- one of the reasons they have this doctrine is because they have to make sure that Jesus is absolutely sinless. So they say, well, to do that, what we need to do is make sure that Mary was absolutely sinless, and so that preserves Jesus being sinless. But in, in essence, you don't need to do that because Scripture clearly says the Spirit of God superintended the process, the conception of Jesus. Now, I'm going to talk more about that in my vlog this week, the Immaculate Conception, and just kind of give more information about that. So you, if you're interested, it'll be on Facebook, it'll be on YouTube this week. But all that to say is there's something crazy, incredible here that is hard to wrap our brains around, but the Spirit of God is involved in the conception of Jesus as Jesus takes him on human flesh that he is fully God and fully man. Now, this is going to be very important. And this was all through the early church, the doctrine of how does, you know, Jesus is human, but he's divine, and how does that all work out? This was really a subject for a lot of debate, and a lot of councils were through this. Um, the next thing I want you to see about this birth is it's, it's prophetic. Not only is it miraculous, it's prophetic, because if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, and uh, you might want to write this down, Genesis 3.15. Some people call that the gospel in the Old Testament or the first mention of the gospel. It's a very interesting passage of Scripture. Now, let me, let me read it to you, uh, and then I'll explain it to you. So the context is that Adam and Eve have sinned. God said, don't eat of the tree. The day that you eat of the tree, you will surely die. Now, they didn't die that day, and that's not the point. The point is... They brought death upon themselves, and they were banished from the garden so they could no longer eat of the tree of, the, uh, of uh, life. So now they're going to perish, they're going to die, and not only that, everyone after them is going to die, okay? That's what we're talking about. But when, when uh, God speaks to the serpent, the devil, the deceiver, this is what he says. This is the curse. 
So the Lord said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now what is going on here? What is going on here is that God is saying to the woman that there's a, there's a descendant from your, you. There is somebody from your seed, somebody generations in the future who is going to destroy the devil once and for all. Now, it also says that the devil will get a, a blow in that will strike your heel. And of course, we look at Calvary and say that is where that took place. So what I'm showing you here is that the, 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 the birth of Jesus, the conception of Jesus, is the fulfillment of this promise that the seed of the woman, who is Jesus, would come and, and strike the death blow on the devil. So it's a fulfillment of Scripture here. And Jesus is that promised offspring of the woman. Look at uh, verse 21 of Matthew. She gave birth to a son. Uh, she will give birth to a son. This is Joseph being told. And you will, are to give him the name Jesus because he will what? Save his people from their sins. So he was a good teacher. He was a healer. He was an example to follow. But he came on a mission, a rescue mission, to save us from our sins. The primary reason why Jesus came. And he had to be sinless to die for the sinful. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He died on a cross having lived the life we should have lived, dying the death we should have died. And so this is why the, the birth of Jesus is so important. But notice how the Holy Spirit is involved in this process. Jesus came on a mission to save us. His incarnation through the Holy Spirit preserves him so that he is, takes upon human flesh without the sin. So here's, here's the application I want to just stop on for a minute here. It's very clear that we're in trouble. That we need a Savior. Now, I don't think we often think that, right? We're like the kid in the swimming pool and we say, oh, I'm okay, I'm okay. And then all of a sudden, or, you know, the waves start coming in the ocean and, oh, wait a minute, I'm at, I guess I'm not okay. And then all of a sudden you realize I'm in big trouble. And some people have never come to that place. But here's the point. If God had to send his very son to earth to become the spotless lamb of God, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of, water, of the world without sin, you know, he is without sin, but he takes away the sins of the world. You will call him Jesus for you save his people from their sins. We are in big trouble. And we can't save ourselves. And going to church, being a good person, believing in God isn't going to save you. It's really important to understand that. All right, let's go a little further. So there, there's the conception or the birth of Jesus. Now let's look at the baptism of Jesus. By the way, we're going to have a baptism. I think I mentioned that, but we're very excited about that. So Jesus goes down to the Jordan River. That's where John the Baptist is baptizing people. And John is basically has a message of repentance. He's basically saying, turn from the evil ways you're going and turn to God. And the sign of that you're turning is that you're going to be baptized. 
That was essentially it. You're, you're identifying, they were identifying with the message of John. John's message was repent, turn from evil and turn to God. And if you do that, then you should be baptized as a sign that that's what you want to do with your life. So Jesus comes down and John gets in a, in a kind of a debate with Jesus, like saying, um, I need to be baptized by you. Well, let me read it to you. Matthew chapter 3, just go over a chapter or two. Verse 13, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water At that moment, heaven was opened, and he, that's Jesus, saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Now, what's interesting here is a couple of things. Number one, John is saying to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you because I have sin, you don't. That's one thing. Now listen, very interesting. If John, who is doing the work of God, who is calling people to repent, who is obeying and and following God's will, if he comes and realizes he needs a savior, how much more do we? How much more do we? I mean, he was one of the most righteous people. His head was cut off by Herod, doing the work of God. And when Jesus, when he meets Jesus the Savior, he says, I need to be saved by you. All right, let's move on because there's some other points here. So Jesus identifies with John's message. He doesn't say, I need to repent too. He's basically saying, I identify with your message. And that's essentially what baptism is. We identify with Jesus Christ. What is Jesus doing here? Well, in his ministry, he's going public with his ministry. He's basically saying, I am the one sent from God. I'm going public with who I am. When you go public with your faith in baptism, what you're saying is Jesus gave his life for me and I gave my life to him. And now I am publicly going public with my faith. I'm with Jesus. I'm on his side. I belong to him. Baptism is an outward sign of your inward faith. It won't save you. Jesus didn't save to, say to the criminal on the cross next to him when the criminal said to him, when you go to your kingdom, remember me. Jesus didn't say, well, I wish you had joined Hope Church. I wish you were baptized. He didn't say that. What did he say? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Today. What did the man do? He exercised faith and trust in Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. This man couldn't do a work if he wanted to. It was all by faith, and it's always been by faith. By faith, Abraham, always by faith, never by works. 
If Jesus chose to identify with John's message and go public, how much more should we? Baptism will never save you, but it does identify you with Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. Some of you celebrate communion with us. We do it once a month. And it's pretty important. It's that solemn time where we acknowledge that Jesus gave his life. He he gave his body. He shed his blood for our sins. He became the spotless Passover lamb, right? He who knew no sin became sin for us. We remember all that. We say it's a really solemn time. And, and you, you, you may have been in this auditorium or maybe you're watching at home, you've been in another church and, and, and you, you have these times of communion and you say, this is really solemn and this is really important and this really is a focusing time for me. Well, is communion more important to you than baptism? Because some of you who would say that, that communion is very important have never been baptized. You say, Pastor, I was baptized when I was a baby. Oh, yeah, okay, I get you. Let me just challenge you. The next time we have a baptism class, go to the class. Because the bottom line is, how do you identify with Jesus Christ if you're just a baby? How do you believe in Jesus Christ if you're just a believe, uh, baby? So I want to challenge you that if you, and as far as I know from from what I can see in Scripture, there's two ordinances that we're given. One is that we are to celebrate the Lord's table. Jesus said what? Do this in memory of me. And then he tells his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, go and make disciples baptizing and teaching. That's it. So if you've never gone public with your faith in baptism, my question to you is why? What are you waiting for? Go to a class, get the information, and pray about it and see what God does in your heart. Baptism is an incredibly important faith step for every faithful Christian. Okay? Now, a couple side notes about the baptism that I think are really fascinating and really important. Again, what we're trying to do is we're trying to show you the depth of theology that's taking place here, but we're also trying to show you how it's connected to the Old Testament. So what, remember, uh, Jesus is coming up out of the water and he sees the Spirit of God coming down upon him, right? Uh, let me read you a pa- another passage, and this will ring familiar to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. You see, the Spirit of God hovering, just like he is at the baptism of Jesus. Just as God, the triune God, was involved in the creation now, the triune God is involved in the baptism of Jesus. Jesus going public with his mission to save us. One other side note. The Father's voice. So we have all three members of the Trinity here. We have the Father, we have the Son, and we have the Spirit. The Father was, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, if you read Isaiah 42, it's a very interesting passage of Scripture. Let me read it to you right now. It says, here is my servant whom I I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my Spirit on him And he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick 
he will not snuff out. Do you see what's going on here? The father approves the son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. By the way, I think that when you are baptized, when you go public with your faith, you know, you, you, you realize Jesus gave his life for you and you give your life to him and you go public with your, your baptism, you confess him before men, the father confesses, what does it say? What did Jesus say? I think I remember him say something. He who confesses me before men, I will confess before my father in heaven. And I believe the Father says, when you are baptized, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. Now notice something else about this passage in uh, Isaiah. It says that he's not going to come as a bull in a china shop. He's not going to come as a conquering king. He's going to come as what? What does it say? Did you see what it says? It says uh, he's going to come as a, a, a bruised reed, a smoldering wick. It says he won't come to bruise, but he will be beaten. It says he will not snuff out, but he will be executed. He came as the suffering servant. All right, so there's the conception of Jesus. And then there's the baptism of Jesus. One more, the temptation of Jesus. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Who is he led by? The Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him. So it's not that he's being tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. It's that he was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, meaning he didn't have food. I don't know about you, but after four hours, I'm in trouble. Okay, four days, I'm like, I'm dead. I mean, it's not, it's not happening. Forty days, he has been in the wilderness, okay? Forty days, he's been in the wilderness. Forty days. Then the tempter comes to him. While he's weak, while he's just burned out, while he's hungry and tired and just, you can't imagine. Now, this is significant because the 40 is significant. Do you know that the nation of Israel was in the wilderness for how long? 40 years. They were tested by God. The sons and the daughters of God, the nation of Israel, were tested. And what happened? They failed. They failed. And Jesus was tempted for 40, well, he was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 days was tempted. And he didn't fail. He passed the test. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took our place. He passed the test when he was weak, when he was tired, when he was hungry. Now, one of the key truths of Scripture is that Jesus is fully God and fully man. There are passages where you read in the Bible where, and maybe you've read them and you said, I don't understand this. Where it says, well, for instance, we were at the last series, we were talking about the parables, and the disciples were saying, well, when is this all going to happen? I mean, that's essentially why the, the, you know, the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus is in Mount Olivet, and he starts teaching these parables. And the disciples said, when is this all going to happen? And 
Jesus says, no man knows, not even in the angels in heaven, and not even the Son of Man, but only my Father in heaven. How can he be God? How can Jesus be God and not know that? And what are we to make in passages like Luke where it says that Jesus grew in, in stature and wisdom and how do you, what are we going to make of that? Right? Now, this is really a significant thing, and it's, it's sometimes hard to wrap your brain around, and it is a mystery. But be, Jesus was fully God and fully man, but here's the thing. He never cheated. He never cheated. He never dipped into his divinity. He never, uh, let me give you an illustration. Maybe, maybe this will help you. So, um, you remember, some of you are in the middle of it right now, and as students, some of your parents remember back, where you were in a math class, and the assignment was to do the 50 questions, right? You had 50 questions to do, and I remember I had a, a, a teacher, Gino Baldoni, a little Italian guy, and he would say, I want you to do the 50 questions, and oh, by the way, the answers are in the back of the book. Don't cheat. Okay, so you start out, you start working on the question. Some of you are smiling way, way too much right now. <laughs> you're, you're looking at question number five and you go, okay, okay. Oh, I don't get that. You know, it wouldn't be a bad thing for me as a learning experience to pop that question over and just kind of, oh, yeah, that's how they did it. Okay. All right. Then you go to the next one. You go, I don't get that one. Yeah. You know, you know I'm not going to make a habit of this. Just one more time. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Pretty soon, what are you doing? You're just in this, the, you're in the back section of the book. You're copying it down and you're turning the paper in. You cheated. Jesus has a divinity that he could dip into but he doesn't. He doesn't. What is, the, what is the devil trying to get him to do? If you read down through Mark 4, it's very simple. At the end of 40 days, the devil, one of the first temptations is, hey, you see those stones in front of you? Turn them into bread. Come on, aren't you hungry? Dip into your divinity. Go ahead. Your father doesn't want you to starve. I don't know what he said, but something along those lines. And what happens? Jesus says, no, man will live. Man doesn't live by what? Bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from my father's mouth. He didn't go to the end of the book. He didn't, he didn't cheat. He didn't, he didn't do that. And now why is that important? It's important because he who knew no sin became sin for us, but he did, wasn't relying upon his divinity. He didn't lean into it. This makes it easy for, easier for us to identify with him because he understands what it is to be hungry and betrayed and afraid and angry and upset and sad. Going through the whole range of human emotions. But he didn't sin. He passed the test, not just for himself, but for us. That's why the writer of Hebrews says this. Now, the, when I read this passage to you from Hebrews, it's going to have a lot more depth to it, I think. Notice what Hebrews 4.15 says. 
For we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin, because he did not dip into his divinity. And then he says this, the writer of Hebrews, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus passed the test for you and for me, but he also says, come to me, and I will walk with you in those dark valleys. I will help you when you are weak. I understand what it is to be betrayed. I understand what it is to be hungry. I understand what it is to be tired. I understand what it, I understand all of that. The other interesting thing I think is, is you see that the Spirit of God led him into this temptation. Led him into the wilderness to be tempted. And sometimes God allows us to go through those times. It doesn't mean God has left you or doesn't love you. It just means that he has a plan for you. And it may not be a plan that you choose, (laughs) but it's an important plan. Was the temptation of Jesus important for our salvation? Absolutely. Without it, we would still be in our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. And the writer of Hebrews says something that's very interesting, that, that Jesus understands our daily struggle. In, in 2.18 it says, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, 40 days and 40 nights, he is able to help those who are being tempted. In other words, that says that Jesus understands what you're going through. Now, if he's God, and he's dipping into his divinity, if he's cheating and looking at the answers, you go, I could do that. Some of you thought that was what was going on with Jesus. But that's how you make sense of some of the statements where Jesus says, I don't know. The Father in heaven knows, but I don't know. And that's why Jesus said over and over, he says, I I don't speak the word, my words, I speak the words from my Father in heaven. I don't do my will, but I do the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus was led by the Spirit. We are told, and Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit. So, let's tie this together. We got a lot going on in our lives, don't we? We got family, we got work, got our health, we got struggles going on. But I wanna tell you, your number one mission is to look to God, your Father in heaven, to allow the Spirit to guide you to keep in step with the Spirit as you follow Jesus. Can I say that one more time? Because that's really what your life plan should be. Everybody says, you need to have a life plan. Well, it's here in Scripture, I guess. Here's your life plan. Follow Jesus as you look to your Father in heaven and as you walk and keep in step with the Spirit, allow the Spirit to guide you. And when you do that, when you apply that to work, when you apply that to relationships, your family, when you apply that to everything in your life, you say, God, I want to follow Jesus through this situation. I want to follow Jesus in my family and how I work in my relationships with my family. I want to follow Jesus when I'm working in my, my job, my business. 
I want to follow Jesus in, you know, in my health, right? In a sense to realize that I'm perishing and I'm going to have a, a positive attitude, but I'm also going to, you know, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to allow the Spirit of God to guide me and I'm going to look to the Father. And as I do that, I will live the life that God intended me to live. And one day, my Father in heaven will say to me, like he said to Jesus on that day when Jesus went public with his ministry, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased. So there it is. The ministry of God in our lives, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, working together collectively in our lives, we look to our Father. We allow the Spirit to guide us as we follow Jesus Christ. So what is it that you step that you need to take today? Maybe it's a simple basic step. You need to get baptized because you've never been baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's your step. Maybe your step is you've never called upon the Lord. Maybe your step is that you're not allowing the Father and the Son and the Spirit to guide you like the Trinity guided Jesus on his mission while he was on earth. Jesus placed a trail. He gave us an example. Now it's our job to follow. Let me pray with you as we close our time. Father, thank you for your word, the encouragement we get through it. Thank you for just the many, many things and critically important things, biblically and theologically, that we've talked about. And Father, my prayer is if there's anyone here in this room or watching, then, and they've never called upon the Lord. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It may be, Father, there, that uh, somebody is listening right now and they're saying, I realized maybe for the first time that Jesus gave his life for me and I've never given my life to him. And right now, today, I want to do that. And I realize that I can't save myself, that he came to save me, that he took my sin and gave me his righteousness, that he died so that I could live. And right now, I give my life to him. And Father, if, if they prayed a prayer like that, something like that, I pray that they let somebody know that they put their trust in Jesus today as Savior. Father, if there's others here today that they said, uh, they say, you know, I'm one of his followers, but I've been kind of a private eye. I've been behind. I've been uh, just not public with, with my faith. And, and now I realize that I need to wrestle with this whole thing of baptism. I need to go public with my faith. It may be, Father, that the rest of us who maybe have taken both of those steps, we come to a place and we say, Father, this week, may I look to you, may I allow your spirit to guide me as I follow Jesus in every relationship, in every compartment, in every part of my life for your glory and my good. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.